So speaking of the love of God, ever have thoughts or feelings that you are unworthy of his love, that you really don't deserve it, that there's things about your life that you're just not good enough for him, for his love? Um, or ever had the thought, you know, I hear God loves me, I think he's supposed to love me, but I'm, I really am not sure that he likes me. I mean, if, if you've ever thought anything like those kinds of things, then this morning it's for all of us, but especially for those of us who've had those kind of thoughts. So we're continuing in our series on identity crisis and talking about our identity in Christ. Um, quick summary, the first week we really looked at the three counterfeit sources. I know they're on the screen, but do you remember what those are? The three counterfeits are I am what I what I do, I am what I have, and I am what people say or think about me. And then if you root your identity in those things, it will be sh totally shakable. It will never be stable. You'll never be satisfied in life. Um, and the, the result of that is you'll never be able to do enough, have enough, or people will never say enough good things about you. And so you're just going to struggle, have this ongoing struggle with guilt um, and fear and shame. And so I know that week's talking that we really need an identity that's based on something that is durable, that's always going to be there through all, through all of life, that's holistic, that speaks to the totality of whom I am, including my darkness, which we all have, and that's life-proof, that can make it through all the ups and downs of life. And so last week I talked about the only true source of an identity. I'm not going to flash that one yet. Do you guys remember what that is? The only true source is what? I am whose I am. I am whose I am. It's my identity must be built on my relationship to God through Jesus Christ. That's the only place for a solid identity. That's the only place to have an unshakable identity. And it's the only place that will be all satisfying and all sufficient because only Jesus has done enough, only he has enough, and only he loves me enough. And that if I'll center my life, my identity on him, that that guilt will gradually replace, replace with more joy, fear, with trust, and shame with a deeper sense of being loved. So before launching in this morning, I need to, I want to re-hit something I hit the first week because I want to make sure I, cl I, I clarify something that I wasn't sure I was very clear on last week. Um, that's what happens when you have a granddaughter for the whole weekend. Love being with her, but man, it is tiring when you're old like I am. Um, <laughs> two weeks ago, I talked about two kinds of identity, if you remember. I talked about our unique identity, which answers the question, like, what's unique about me? What, what, you know, my, what's my internal thumbprint that nobody else has? And then we talked about a foundational identity. The unique identity we're going to hit next fall. I'm going to do a series that's going to relate to that. So this series is really about that foundational identity. And the two parts are is that sense of self, like who am I, what am I, and then that sense of worth. Um, am I valuable intrinsically? And am I accepted and am I loved exactly how I am? And that's what this series is about, that foundational one. And I want you to know that that foundational identity is, that's, that's the rocks, that's the core one. That's the thing we really have to know. And our, Because if you don't know that foundational identity, then you're not really going to understand your uniqueness, the things about you. You're going to misunderstand them. You're not going to, you can't build a life on your unique identity. It's got to be built on that foundational and that's why our culture is all wrong, because our culture is all about look inside of yourself, find the things about yourself that you really want to emphasize, that you desire, and you self-construct an identity based upon that. But if you do that and don't have a foundational identity below that, you will never, never be satisfied. You'll never really know who you are. And so we're really trying to hit that foundational identity. And so here's what I wasn't super clear on last week, but last week, what I was really speaking to was that sense of self, that who am I? 
Um, and the answer we found is, is that I am a new creation, that if I've come to Jesus, I'm a new creation, and my identity is now in him. That is my sense of self that I have if I follow Jesus. And so this week, I really want to focus on that sense of worth, those questions, am I valuable, am I accepted, and am I loved exactly how I am? And my goal on all this, my prayer, all week for myself, my prayer for all of you has been the prayer of Paul that he prayed for the Ephesian believers in chapter 3. And I want to read that for you. He says, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. So that's my prayer for us, is that we will, this thing just won't go to our head, but it'll go to our heart to understand his profound love. And so that's what I'm going to speak today. So first, I want to try to answer that question, am I valuable? Am I valuable? I want to speak to that thing of, of our worth. Um, how many of you, I mean, I grew up with this kind of thing. How many of you remember this? When I worked at Radio Shack in college, we had these price gun things, and you'd put the labels in, and all the new products would come in, and we would have to sit back there like after work. I mean, and when you're at Radio Shack, it's thousands of little things, right, that would come in, and this one's worth this, so you set the price, and then it's ka-chunk, ka-chunk, and you're just, you're putting the price tag on all those. Uh, man, I spent hours of my life doing that. Um, that's, that's what some of them look like. I mean, I even found online an, a ra- an old Radio Shack one. I'm so curious what that $35.95 product was. Um, that's some examples. But I think, I think we've all had the experience. We have this all the time. That things in life are constantly putting our supposed value label on us, right? People, things, our culture is constantly putting a price on you, on what you're worth. Um, are you beautiful? You know, then you're valuable. Ka-chunk. You've got brains, then you're valuable. Ka-chunk, you get a high value. If, you, uh, if you've got bravado, a charismatic personality, ka-chunk, you're valuable. Um, do, you have, um, do you have brawn, you're athletic, then ka-chunk, you're valuable. Do you carry the right brand, you wear the right brand, you drink the right brand, ka-chunk, then you're valuable. And I think we, we have that experience all the time that our culture, I think people, our parents sometimes, teachers, friends, um, are constantly putting values on us that are way undervalued of what we are, like a dollar eighty nine gets put on us all the time. Satan is constantly putting labels on us of our value that are really low, like zero point zero zero right I think we tell ourselves our value and it 's frequently a dollar eighty nine ka chunk that we 're putting that on ourselves. Um, voices are constantly putting labels on us, and I want you to know they way undervalue you. And they weigh undervalue me, and I want to speak to our value. I want us to listen to the voice of the Father instead of those things. So I want to tell you three ways you can determine the value of something. Three ways that you can determine the value. The first is you determine the value of something by the image that's stamped upon it. Um, the value of a bill or coin is not determined by how crisp it is or how shiny it is, right? I can have a shiny penny and a grungy quarter, and the quarter is still more valuable than the penny. And it's not determined by the size of something. I mean, look at these three coins. The smallest American coin has more value than two that are larger than it, even more value than those two things combined. So size has nothing to do with value. The value of our currency is determined by the image that's stamped upon it. And here's what I want you to know that God says about you in Genesis 126. 
It says, God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. And every single human soul, we have had stamped upon us the image of God. We bear his image. Is there anything more valuable than that? To bear his image. And though that image was marred by the first man and woman's sin, in Colossians 3.10, here's what Paul says about believers. That if you are in him, that you have this new self and you are being renewed in the image of your creator. That he's actually working in me to make me more and more like himself. So, by the image that is stamped upon something. Value is also determined by its creator. And some of you have heard this story before, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But several years ago, a, a family we knew was moving, and they didn't want to take a lot of stuff, and they gave us all their leftover stuff, and they said, do a garage sale, and you use it for your ministry. And in that, we found this vase that I thought was quite ugly and was only worth 2 or $3. If, if you were to see up close, the, she actually, her mother paid $6 for it. Pat, thankfully, from watching Antiques Roadshow, had a clue, a sense that this was valuable. We called them. We did some research, found out it was. Called them and said, you gave us something really valuable. I'm not sure you want us to have this. And they said, no, we want you to have it. She had a sense that it was. Um, ended up that thing, we sold it on eBay. I don't know if you can see that. For $4,040.40. That ugly vase sold for that. I'm telling you, I made vases and stuff when I was in middle school. I made this mountain lion. Look at this mountain lion. This is more beautiful than that vase. Trust me. That was like a puke green. It was really ugly. This thing is more valuable. But if I put this on eBay, do you think I could get a dollar for it? <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, Carl's like, it wouldn't sell, right? He knows. He, he can see it up close. So I'm like, what in the world? Like, if that thing won't sell, what is it about that that made it so valuable? And if you know the story, because it was created by a man named Van Briggle, who is one of America's premier potter, potters, pot, pot, pottery makers. How about that? <laughs> pottery makers, who when he created his own pottery um, place in Colorado Springs, only lived four years and then died. And anything he created is a very, very high value. So the value of something is determined by its creator. It's determined by its creator. That's why I can't sell this for anything, right? Because the value is determined by the creator. And Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's handiwork. We're God's handiwork. He's our creator. And then finally, you determine the value of something by what somebody is willing to pay for it. Okay? Why somebody is willing to pay for it. Um, you know, I can say my iPhone's worth a million dollars, but nobody's going to pay that for it, right? The real value of this is what somebody would give me for it. And I just want you to know what the Bible says about you. In 1 Corinthians 6, 20, and in 1 Peter 2, 18 and 19, it says this, that you were bought with a price. With the precious blood of Jesus Christ, that's how you were redeemed. That's the price that was paid for you. That the creator of the universe came into this world and he gave everything, his last, last drop of bread. He gave everything, this infinite creator, everything for me. That's the price that he was willing to pay to bring me back. And so all of this is to say to you that you've been created by the infinite, eternal God of the universe. You have his image stamped upon you. And the infinite Son of God, who has lived infinitely, gave everything he had for you. And that means our value is, it's, you can't put a price tag. Nobody can do a chunk on you. It doesn't matter what price. You are invaluable. Invaluable. It can't be measured. Nobody can put a price on your head. 
And that's why David says in Psalm 139, 13 to 14, he says, you made my whole being, you formed me in my mother's body. I praise you because you made me in an amazing and wonderful way. What you've done is wonderful, and I know this very well. I know this very well. So let's quit worrying about the price that people put on us, okay? And let's look at ourselves from the eyes of the creator and that we're invaluable to him. No price, no price could be paid for us. So am I valuable? Infinitely so. But maybe more important, am I accepted? And am I loved? Just as I am. Darkness and all, right? So let me hit those. First, am I accepted? Paul's answer to that is found in Romans 15, 7, where he says this. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. So I'm accepted by him through Jesus. So that one's answered. But the accepted, that's okay, accepted. But my question is, am I loved? And I want to go back to a minute to Jesus, to the words that were said over Jesus by the Father at his baptism. We looked at this two weeks ago. Um, but here's the passage from Matthew 3.17. When the voice from heaven came in, here's what it said. This is my beloved son. My beloved son, I take delight in him. I take delight in him. That word beloved is the Greek word agape tas. You hear the word agape love in that. It means to be highly esteemed, dearly loved, treasured, beloved. We'll see in a minute how people translate that. And that word delight is the Greek word eudokeo. And eudokeo means to be well pleased with, to take pleasure in, to be favorably inclined toward, to take joy in, to delight in. Like yesterday, we spent some time with Nellie, the granddaughter, and I was full of delight being around her. I take so much joy in her. I mean, look at the way this has been translated in different, different translations. Um, my son whom I love, my beloved son, my dearly loved son. And then that word of for delight, the one whom I'm well pleased, um, the, the one who brings me great joy. I love the message. It's a paraphrase, not a translation, but Eugene Peterson said, this is my son chosen, marked by my love, delight of my life. Don't you love that? Marked by my love, delight of my life. So I think it's clear. We all would say, no question, Jesus was the beloved of the Father. But what about you? And what about me? Sure, I'm accepted, but am I beloved? Am I beloved? And that's why I think it's so profound that in Ephesians 5.1, the exact same language is used of you and I. When it says of this, be imitators of God as beloved children, and it uses the exact same word, agapetos, is used of us. And the same thing is in Colossians 3.12, where again, we are called the beloved. So we are the beloved of the Father, just like Jesus. Same language is used. And if that doesn't convince you, I want to show you something Jesus said. In John 17, 23, when he was praying and talking to the Father, and here's what he said to the Father. He says, you love them as much as you love me. Is that not, I mean, I want you to take that in. That's the word of God. That is the words of Jesus. You love them as much as you love me. Do you really believe that? That the love of the Father, when he looks at you, it's the same level that he has for Jesus. So I want to speak briefly to the, the reality of God's deep passion, his passionate love for you. And I'm going to hit a bunch of scripture. And I just really want to try to convey to you how deep his love is for you. In 1 Peter 2.9, Peter wrote this. You are God's chosen people, his special possession. And when he says special possession, he is quoting Exodus 19.5, um, where it was said of Israel that they were his treasured possession. So that's what you are, you're treasured to him. 
and I'm going to take Peter's lead because I'm going to show you several scriptures that come out of the Old Testament. And what Peter was saying is, is what was true of the children of Israel is also true. I mean, how much more is it not true of people who have come to, to faith in, through, have become the children of God through faith in Jesus and how he applied an Old Testament thing to them? And I'm going to hit some Old Testament scripture, and with no shame, I want to apply these to us because his children are his children, period. So in Psalm 27.10, he says, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Um, something very similar that I like even more. Isaiah 49, 15 to 16. This is what the Lord says. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. I've engraved you on the palm of my hands. You know, I only write the most important things on the palm of my hands. You know that? And that's what he says. I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. And that's why Hebrews 13, 5, God says, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. Never. Last week, remember I talked about we're members of God's unshakable kingdom, that we're citizens of that. That's why I love Isaiah 54.10 that says, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. My love for you will never be shaken. Isaiah 43.1, this is what the Lord says, he who is your creator, he who formed you, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You're mine. I've called you by name. Jeremiah 31.3, that the Lord appeared saying, I've loved you with an everlasting love. From everlasting to everlasting, I've loved you with that kind of love. 1 John 4.18, he says not just an everlasting love. He says that we've been loved by God with a perfect love. The thing we also long for is to be loved perfectly, to be understood perfectly, right? He loves us with a perfect love. And if you need any proof of his total, unconditional love for you, I point to Jesus on the cross in Romans 5, 8, where it says, God demonstrates, today he demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And 1 John 4, 9 to 10, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. I want you to know Jesus' death on the cross is the full, final demonstration of God's absolute, unconditional love for you. But here's a question I think a lot of people struggle with. Okay, he loves me, and he's supposed to, right? But does he like me? Does he like me? You know, it's said that the father, when he looked at his son, he said, I am delighted by him. He is my delight. I really love that word delight. I looked up the definition, and the definition of delight is this, to, to give great pleasure, satisfaction, or enjoyment to, to please highly, to bring joy. Pretty strong word, right? When the Father says to Jesus, I delight in you, pretty strong word. So does he delight in me? Does he like me? Zephaniah 3.17, one of my favorite scriptures. The Lord, your God, is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great, what? He'll take great delight in you. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. And I've talked about this verse before, that for all three of our kids, we created a song. Um, and the ones I created were kind of ugly. But how often I sang over our children. 
because I took great delight in you. So does God not just love you, but does he like you? Yes, he delights in you. Isaiah 62.4, never again will you be called a forsaken city. A desolate land. Your name will be city of God's delight. The Hebrew word Hephzibah. And the bride of God, Beulah. For the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. I love that word, Hephzibah, um, delight. When I was, I went to a conference the year after 9-11 in New York City. And the place where they had to stay was a mission house that had been there since the 1800s where missionaries who were leaving through the port of New York on a boat to go somewhere overseas or they were coming back, that that's the place they would stay temporarily. And that's where they put us up. Um, it was a really beautiful place. It was in Manhattan, and it was cool just to be there. And that's why I learned the meaning of Hephzibah and why they named it that, because this was the house of God's delight. After returning home from that trip, and I was telling my family about it, um, one of my children started, <laughs> started telling people, hey, when my dad was in New York, he stayed in the Hezbollah house. You guys remember what Hezbollah is? Yeah, it's a terrorist group in Palestine. So he's telling everybody, hey, my dad was in the Hezbollah house while he was in New York for three days. So we had, to, we had to kind of calm that down because I didn't want the feds like knocking at my door wondering what I was doing at the Hezbollah house. But I just want you to know that the Lord delights in you and he claims you as his bride. Does not the New Testament say that his people are the, the bride of Christ? Are we not his bride? And does not a groom delight in his, in his bride? And that's what God says of you. You're my bride, I delight in you. So does God like me? I would say with a resounding answer, yes, he delights in you. And to delight is to like. He not only loves you, he likes you. I mean, is that not all powerful, that scripture? Is the scripture I showed you not powerful, that he accepts me, that he loves me, I'm his beloved, that he delights in me? That's why 1 John 3, 1 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. That is what we are. We are children of God. We are children of God. We are his beloved children, ones in whom he delights. That's what it means when I say, I am whose I am. That's my identity. Last week I talked about that, um, that um, sense of self. That when I'm in Jesus, I am whose I am means I am a new creation and I'm in him. And that sense of worth, that when, I, when my identity is based on Jesus, I am whose I am, what that means, I am his beloved child, one in whom he delights. He doesn't just love me, he actually likes me. He smiles upon me. So last week I quoted Chuck Swindoll who said, know who you are, accept who you are, and be who you are. So 12th, for all of us, let us know who we are. Let us know this reality. Um, that what Jesus and the word of God says about you is the deepest reality of who you are. Not what people say, not what our culture says about you, not what you say about you, not what Satan says about you. All that matters is what God says about you. And so my challenge is, is don't just listen to the loudest voices because there's a lot of them going ka-chunk, 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 putting value on you. Don't listen to those voices. Listen to the truest voice, the voice of God. But just don't know who you are, accept who you are. That, that if you're in Jesus, you are his beloved son, his beloved daughter, in whom he delights. Sadly, I think all of us at different times, I was just talking to Jack, 
between services. At times, all of us live not accepting that, but with an orphan spirit. Living with an orphan mindset, this deep-seated belief that I'm really not accepted or loved by God, that he really doesn't like me, that he really doesn't have my best interest in mind, that um, he really won't take care of me when things go really, really bad. I think a lot of us live with this orphan spirit that really I'm, I'm not his child in a deep way. Um, I've thought a little bit about why. I think there's a lot of reasons. I just want to step for just a side, and I want to speak to parents for just a minute because I think part of the reason some of us live with an orphan spirit is because of the way we were talked to as children. And so to parents, I really want you to think about the way you present yourself to your children because we serve a perfect father who loves us, who is not annoyed by us, not irritated by us, not frustrated even by our mistakes and our sins. He relentlessly loves us and pursues us, okay? And so as a parent, I just want to tell you that your voice will be God's voice in their head, okay? Your tone will be God's tone in their head. Your looks will be the way they think God looks at them. And your words are going to be the words of God in their mind. So parents, let us be really careful the way we talk and communicate and relate to our children. Because we might be imparting an orphan spirit to them, okay? We're not perfect, I know that. But just uh, as parents, even as a grandparent, I think about that. You know, what's my tone? What's my voice? What are my words? So back to this orphan spirit. This orphan spirit, I think, shows itself in many ways. I'm just going to give you a few. Orphans cannot depend on anyone, so they have to take care of themselves. Orphans must always appear strong. You can't ever appear weak if you're an orphan. Orphans crave to be taken in and loved, but they really doubt if they ever will be. So orphans frequently don't get real close to people. Orphans can only trust themselves. Orphans need to be noticed and validated. Orphans continually feel inadequate. Orphans seek high levels of control in their lives because they really don't believe there's a good father who has control over their life. Orphans are greedy and stingy with what they possess because they really don't believe there's a father who's going to take care of them. And orphans really struggle with high levels of guilt and fear and shame. That's what orphans struggle with. And to me, one of the key indicators of an orphan spirit is what you might call performance spirituality. This subtle belief that our love and acceptance by God is dependence upon, dependent upon my level of obedience to him. That I need to prove my worth to God for him to really accept me. I mean, don't we all struggle with this at times? Um, and I'm telling you, an orphan spirit will pull you into performance spirituality all the time. It's that belief that my value and my worth to him is really dependent upon how I perform for him spiritually. It's that relentless pressure to, per, to prove myself to God so I can be valuable and acceptable to him. That inner feeling I have to earn his approval, that I'm never good enough, that I'm never going to measure up, that I have to do more for his acceptance to really be right with him. That's what that performance spirituality is. And I mean, we've all been there. And I can tell you from experience, when you live with an orphan spirit and a performance spirituality, you will never find the joy of God that he wants to impart in your life. And it will hinder your ability to relate to him because you, you, you lack that trust when you have that orphan spirit. But I also want you to know that scripture is clear that God's love for us is not based upon performance, but it's unconditional. Scott Waters gave me a book a little over a year ago by Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly. Really good book. And in it, he said this, God's heart 
cannot be diminished for his people due to their sins any more than the sun's existence can be threatened due to the passing of a few wispy clouds or even an extended thunderstorm. The, the sun is always shining. It cannot stop. Clouds, no clouds. Sin, no sin. The tender heart of the Son of God is always shining on me. Always shining on me. And that's why he says in that book, it was something I found really profound. He says, you can either live for the heart of Christ or you can live from it. You can either live for the smile of God or you can live from it. But you can't do both. It's one or the other. You can't do both. I want to tell you, Jesus has promised in John 14, 8. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. That's his promise. I will not leave you as orphans. So choose to accept God's vision of who you are, of your belovedness in him. So a few questions if you don't mind. I want to know, right now, are you living as an orphan? Or are you living as a beloved child of God, one in whom he delights? How are you living right now? Are you currently living for the heart of Christ, or are you living from it? You feel like, are you in that performance spirituality trap where you're living for the smile of God? Or would you say right now, I'm living from the smile of God? When I root my identity in Jesus, and I am whose I am, instead of I am what I do, or what I have, or what people say or think about me, the question of my love, my worth, and my value, and of my being beloved by him, it is settled. It's settled. And that's why I like 1 Corinthians 3.11, that no one, no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, which is Jesus Christ. He is the only true source of an identity, a stable identity. It's only in Jesus. It's only in him that I will find the unconditional love and the full acceptance that I need. That's the only place. So am I valuable? Are you valuable? I would say yes, unequivocally. That I and you are of infinite worth. And am I loved? Am I accepted? I would say you're loved. You're rejoiced over with singing, with an everlasting love, perfect love. A love that will never be shaken. He has compassion for you. He delights in you because you're his bride. That's what scripture says is true. I'm not only loved, but I'm liked. I'm liked by him. I'm the beloved child of the Father, one in whom he delights. That is who I am when I'm in Jesus. That's why having my identity in him is so important. To ground me in those two realities. That sense of self, who am I, and that sense of worth. Am I valuable and am I loved? That's why this is so important. As I said last week, someone has said, the younger generations especially, they long to be loved, but they fear to be known. And I just want all of us to know, because we all struggle with that to a degree, all of us to know that in God, I am both fully known and at the same time, I am fully loved. Amen to that, right? Are you not glad for that reality? Don't you love the good news of Jesus? You know, when we live it, when we, when we know it and we accept it and we live it, it just puts to rest so much of that soul striving, that performance-oriented spirituality to earn his approval. Um, in Jesus, my identity is secured. And when I'm living in that, I have nothing to prove to anybody, right? Isn't that a good place to be? So here's my ongoing challenge for all of us. Let's stop living for that achieved 
big uppercase I identity that our culture is pushing on us all the time. Let's quit striving for an achieved identity and let us live for that received identity from the Father through Jesus to where I'm living a little I identity where he's at the center of all, he's at the center of my life, and I'm living as one who is a new creation, who is in him, who is beloved by him, one in whom he delights, somebody that he actually likes. Let's live into that. So I want to have some final questions because this week really is all about being loved by God. And here are my final questions. First one is this. Is my core identity rooted in the reality that I am a beloved child of God, a good and loving Heavenly Father? And right now in your life, in reality, are you rooted in that reality? another question to ask too to ask yourself am I living for the approval of people or am I living from the approval of God am I living to be accepted or am I living from being accepted two radically different things so I just want to know where are you right now just that final challenge same as last week know who you are accept who you are let it come down into your heart and then let's be let's be who we are Billy Graham this was in our New Testament last year one of the insights said this are you still running around trying to milk acceptance and self-esteem out of the world like lost people when you've already got both you're of infinite worth you're accepted maybe not by people but of God you are not to strive to get love. We don't live that way. We live from a posture of knowing that we are loved. Accept yourself now as the new person you truly are in him, just as the Father accepts you perfectly, perfectly. Let's live into that reality. And I started last week talking about that a lot of us are seeking for something that we already possess, right? We're so longing for an identity when one has been given to us and we just don't know it or don't accept it or won't live into it. So let's quit trying to frantically prove our worth and our value that we're accepted and we're approved of by the Father because we already have it in Jesus. We've already got it. So last questions. Um, I think I used this the first week. Are you living for likes but longing for love? Let's stop tying our identity to how many follow people follow me start tying our identity to who I follow. Big difference. Let's quit living for the approval of people and let's start living from the approval of God. Let's quit living to be accepted by people. Let's start living from the acceptance of God. As I said last week, you can either live for an identity or you can live from an identity. You can't do both. And again, there's a really big difference. So 12... As people who know Jesus, let us live from our identity, not for it. Let us live out the reality of who we are, who we truly are. That in Christ, that sense of self that I'm in him and I'm a new creation. And that sense of worth that I am his beloved child. And when he looks at me, he's delighted. And he smiles because he likes me. So would you stand with me? We want to close with some worship that really highlights and emphasizes that reality of our belovedness.
So let's, uh, let's really offer these songs and these words to the Lord. stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. To you are, to you are, to you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. I've seen many searching for who I am. 
amen to that? I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Would you repeat with me? I want you to say this. I am the beloved child of God, one in whom he delights. He doesn't just love me. He likes me. Isn't that profound? I'd like to end with a prayer. This is from Ephesians 3. And if you struggle with, with like accepting this and bringing it in the reality of who you are, Open this and pray this every day, but would you join me in praying this prayer? Lord God, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, may we be rooted and established in love. May we have power together as your holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is your love and to experientially Know this love that surpasses knowledge. 
so that we may be filled to the measure of your fullness. We pray this because of Jesus, and we pray it for Jesus. And God's people said, amen. Twelfth, you're sent this week to live out your belovedness in the Father. So you're sent 